And Fernand Jean, when she invited me a few months back to, to see if I wanted to, to be part of the group of, uh, of lectures, um, I was a little reluctant, um, but um, eventually I had so many questions of my own. So I'm using a lot of my ideas to really answer questions that I had for myself. So hopefully you enjoy, and of course, being that I deal with cancer on a daily basis, I had lots of questions. So just a little brief of what cancer is. You know, cancer is a term that comes from the Greek called carcinos, which is basically um, the crab. And this was first ever used term actually by Hippocrates, considered the father of Western medicine. Uh, Hippocrates, when he described tumors on the surface of the body, he felt that they were hard, that they were sort of had these tentacles that, that, that spread and he, think they it looked like a, a crab. So that's when he first described and used the word cancer with that uh, uh, <clears throat> meaning. Another word that is commonly used uh, also comes from the Greek, which is onkos, oncology, which is the treatment of, uh, the study of cancer. Onkos means burden. So meaning, you know, that it's, it's, it's hard to deal with this disease. So for many, many years, uh, cancer has always been seen as basically a sentence of death uh, and very difficult for patients to accept that reality and, and for physicians to treat. Actually, Hippocrates, and I just find this interesting, and I shared with Anna, that <clears throat> this, he was born in the fifth century before Jesus, so we're talking 2,500 years ago. And he was the first ones that described that cancer should never be operated on, otherwise they spread and patients die sooner. To this day, I still hear patients coming to the office, many saying the same thing. What if I get operated, I'm gonna die of cancer. So amazing how sort of human uh, 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 culture persists for 2,500 years and still people still say the same thing. So just to give a glimpse of what cancer really is, in the United States, for example, 2016, I expected almost 1.7 million. New cases of cancer, uh, man prostate most common, the lung being the second, and women's breast and lung being the second as well, uh, and the other ones. But this is new cases diagnosed, but when you talk about cancer deaths, about a third of those patients will die eventually of cancer, and per year about 600,000. And we see then here that lung is really the number one lung, uh, cancer killer in the United States and actually in the world. If you add all them together, you know, this, the other three, for man, can't, lung still kills more, and for females, the two or three. So it is a major issue uh, for healthcare, as a lot of money is spent in this. So what is cancer? So cancer is an uncontrolled growth of cells that is caused by whatever reason it is, a change in the genetic material of the cell. Or for multiple different things. It can occur in any place of the body, uh, and it can cause disease that is localized, so only to a certain organ, or it can spread and go to a different organ. That's when they develop what we call metastasis. Um, most mutations in most cells occur in cells that we already have, so it's nothing that is necessarily inherited. Um, so it's a normal cell that we have that for some reason develops a mutation, and we'll see uh, why that happens. And very rarely cancers are actually inherent and they're transmitted from generation to generation. That's what we call germline mutation. Those are pretty rare. But one of those that probably everybody already heard is, you know, what Angelina Jolie took her breast out. So BRCA, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gene that does increase the chance of breast cancer and ovarian cancer by about 80%. But even that, there's about 20% that don't develop and we don't know why. So. Those are some of the answers I wanted to answer myself. So genes associated with cancer have two different names, uh, and this is more for general knowledge. Proto-oncogenes, meaning these are the common genes that are normal in our cells, proto-oncogenes, so proto-pre-onco, pre-cancer genes that are normal, that when they get mutated, they become oncogenes. And there are tumor suppressor genes, which are Genes that normally control cell growth to prevent cells from multiplying quickly, and sometimes they can be suppressed, allowing cells to multiply. So, 
when we talk about you know genetic mutations, uh, I mean there's an amalgam. I mean there's so many different ones for every single different kind. So when we talk about lung cancer, people think about well, there's lung cancer. No, there's actually 20 different kinds of lung cancer. The most common ones are adeno and squamous cell carcinoma, and within those, many different mutations that we know and lots that we don't know. And this, think of it for every single organ, part, whatever, we have many different cancer types and many different mutations. So it's, it's I don't think human medicine will ever get to the point. So the whole concept of cancer cure doesn't exist. It's individual cancer specific type, subtype for it. That's kind of how we have to think. It's really narrow. So. So, so a genic, uh, generic principle of how cancer happens. So you have normal cells that for some reason just showing that one that decides to have a mutation for whatever reason that is. So it loses its normal characteristics. It changes its shape and things. And as a consequence starts to grow and as it grows, it builds these new um, blood vessels so it can feed itself. And then as it continues to grow, these same cells have new mutations and then you start seeing different types of cancer cells within the cancer itself. And then these cells eventually can get into the bloodstream and progress to metastasis. So it is a spectrum of disease and every cancer is a little different, the mechanism is a little different, and et cetera, et cetera. But as a, as a generic um, process, that's pretty good. So now let's get into the real interesting part. This is just so everybody, it's a little glimpse of what cancer really is. So. As we said, cancer starts at a mutation at the cell. So first of all, I think we need to understand what a cell is. So for biology, cell is the, the smallest unit of any single, of any living being. They're actually living beings who are just one cell. Bacteria, protozoa, like amoeba and things like that. So there's a whole kingdom, actually the protozoa kingdom is just unicellular. They're not animals, but they're living uh, uh, organisms. So that's what biology knows. But Andrew Lewis defines it very different. And that gives really a different concept on how we're gonna uh, uh, continue the entire talk. So he describes in the evolution of two, of two worlds, uh, chapter five, and I apologize ahead of time, evolution two words is not tra translated in English. Um, actually, when I had the opportunity at Virginia, we started the process of trying to translate this. I did about two chapters and I wanted to cry so hard because it's so <laughs> difficult, first of all, to understand and then to try to translate. I mean, but so as far as I know, Vanessa has not accomplished that yet, but uh, probably in the work. So he describes um, cells as domesticated, infinitesimal animals. So let's break it down. So animalcule was small animals. Infinitesimal because they're very small, cannot be seen, means the microscope, and they're domesticated. So this is really the key of all these things. So he's saying it's an, an animal that is domesticated. So that is, has to be controlled, has to be given orders, organization, and goal and function. Who domesticate them? We do. So that changes completely. So cells are not us, they're part of us but there's something on their own that independent of us. So we can get you know, cells from my skin, put in a tissue culture, it will grow. and will continue to live even though it's not my cell anymore. It's not there. So it has its own function. So it's a little animal inside of us and we have a, a few billion of these animals that we have to control. So if you think about it, this is a, a, an actual picture of a cell. The cells need to join together and form a tissue of any kind. And of course, I have to bring lung all the time. <laughs> so, you know, every single little dark dot that you see, it's the nucleus of a cell, okay? So the cells need to get together and form different parts of every single organ. And here is where the, the gases get exchanged, the, the uh, oxygen and carbonic gases. They, this is the vessels. Blood vessels, these are where the, the bigger airway where it comes. So we start as one single cell when we are created initially. And then we have to multiply, differentiate into millions of different cells. And we need to know where we have to go. Well, I have to go north, right, left. 
I need to do this, I need to touch that cell. How does that all happen? So uh, embryology understands how it happens, but it really doesn't understand exactly the mechanism that makes it happen. Um, and, and that's when that definition is really important. And then after they develop tissues, they, they need to relate different uh, organs and things to create systems. So the respiratory system is the trachea, the bronchi, the lungs. They're different cells, they're different everything. So it, it's so complicated how this all gets formed. It's, it's really fascinating and not magical, but it feels magical. So he goes beyond domesticated, infinitesimal, animal. That obeys the thought. The thought can be simple. A plant also has cells. But it's a much simpler than humans, complex thought, which commands their existence. So our thoughts command the existence of every single cell in our bodies. So uh, I was repressed to that. One phrase destroys completely anything that we know in, 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 in medicine and biology. Not destroys, but it just builds upon so much deeper that we could never even think about. But like I said, cells have a life on their own also. So under the guidance of intelligence, cells demonstrate a natural working behavior. So when they're guided, they do their work, communicating with each other uh, under the spiritual influx, which maintains their cohesion. But when they are free, they behave like amoebas, which a unicellular living organism in order to satisfy their own impulses. So they also have their own impulses, they also have things that they quote unquote want to do, hang out, whatever they want to do. <laughs> so when they lose the control of our thoughts, of the intelligence, they become independent. Got it? It gets pretty complicated, I know. So we can see cancer cells, uh, and, and, and medicine also thinks as there's a mutation, it becomes a bad cell, it's a malignant cell. So it's, you know, it's a bad thing. But actually, in reality, I mean, they're just, they just don't know what to do. So they lost their guidance. So it's a very different concept of how, how to look at cancer. So in order for the thought to control the body and the cell, there needs to be there's a system, of course, of communication between all those things. And that's what uh, uh, experts, which I'm not one, is called physical ethereal interface. So the physical ethereal interface tries to explain the transdimensional communication between the different systems, all the way from the thought of the spirit to the, to the level of the physical body. And most of this communication is given through two structures, basically. So the perispirit, which we've heard quite a bit, and the etheric double, which is kind of a newer uh, evolution of the explanation of how they interact. We're going to go deeper into this, and the physical body, of course. And I say transdimensional because human beings are, at minimum, present in three different dimensions. Physical body, as we know, our perispirit, which is also matter, but in a different uh, form and the spirit, which we don't even know what that is, right? So, uh, so just really brief recapitulation of what uh, the perispirit is, also known as the fluidic body, and it's uh, on a lot of the Andre Lewis um, publications, he talks a lot about it, just basically the condensation of the cosmic fluid around a focus of intelligence or so. So the cosmic fluid, as you know, is the essential uh, particle that forms anything that is matter anywhere in the universe. Okay, it's the analogous of the atom a million times smaller. That creates everything that is uh, that is matter. So our body is matter, our perispirit is matter in an ethereal way, so much lighter, much more, uh, but it's also matter. The perispirit and the carnal body have the same primitive element, like it said, both are matter, but under two different states. The perispirit and body are connected molecule by molecule. So this is something that brought by Kardec. This is Kardec words. Um, but this communication on a molecule by molecule, I, I never really understood it. And he never really dug deep into that explanation. He never really talked 
more than sort of superficially. He never really talked about different layers, and that's what more recent literature has shown. So as, as a general principle, the etheric double is matter that is attached to the material body and eventually goes away with the material body. It is not attached necessarily. I mean, it is this interface between perispirit and body, but it's body-related matter, while the perispirit is spirit-related in a way that the spirit always has a perispirit, and when you disincarnate, the perispirit stays with the spirit, but the etheric double stays with the body and dies with the body and is regenerated with the body. So what is it? So there are many different uh, synonyms, and of course it's in Portuguese, but corpeteric uh, was a, a common one, corpo vital, and, uh, and other ones. So a couple of, of phrases that kind of explain in humans, the etheric double constitutes the most ethereal or less rough part of the physical body. So again, saying it's part of the body, but it's more ethereal, it's lighter, it's a different type of matter. The etheric double is a fluidic body that presents as an energetic duplicate of the individual. So when uh, mediums see the ethereal body, they see what is called the internal aura. So it's basically um, a radiation that is has the exact same shape as a person. It seems to be arising from and into, penetrating and through. So it's like really like a shadow in that person. It emanates continuous energy, which presents in forms of rays or streaks around, arising from its entire surface. Basically what the etheric, by, uh, uh, etheric double is, is where our vital fluid is stored, where our energy mechanisms are. Basically, it's where our chakras are. So the chakras are located in the ethereal body and is that direct communication between the perispirit and the physical body per se. So this is gonna be the topic of another lecture because when I started reading about this, it got me so excited. So eventually we'll, we'll talk some more about these. But the interesting thing is that chakras and the communication, so all these little nerves that are called meridians, they have been actually described and, 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 and popularized by Chinese medicine for thousands of years. And the other interesting thing is that they have finally been proven by science that they exist. So um, uh, a group from the Seoul University in uh, Korea, the Biomedics Physics Laboratory, they were able, what they did, they got acupuncture sites in mice and they injected with nanoparticles, which are kind of like a dye. And they cut the tissue and they did electromicroscopy, which is what this is. And they were actually able to see this different system of quote unquote vessels that weren't lymphatics, weren't arteries, weren't veins, and weren't anything. Uh, and they would irradiate from the points of uh, acupuncture. And that was their theory, that these actually do represent the meridians that has been described by Chinese medicine for so many, so many thousands of years. So slowly we're learning that this is all true. So now what? So we understood what the cell is, what it is. So going to that mechanism, how does that actually happen according to spiritism? So there's not a whole lot out there. A lot of this, um, most of this actually come from one single chapter in Evolution of Two Worlds. And then a lot of lectures that I watch from different people that are uh, far, far uh, um, uh, more uh, educated on this than, than I could ever be. Um, well, let's go. So under Lewis begins, and I put it on two again. Because there's no translation, I put it in two. Sometimes it might be easier to understand in one language versus the other. Um, so disturbances in the detriment of others. Okay, so whenever we cause something in detriment of others, which but can be ourselves as well, we fabricate in the physio-psychosomatic tissue. What is the physio-psychosomatic? Soma, body, psycho, our mind, physio, function. So really, this is another word that Andrew Lewis uses for perispirit. 
physiopsychosomatic tissue is the perispirit tissue. So when we cause disturbances for two others or ourselves, we fabricate in the perispirit, which constitute our vehicle of expression, which is how we interface and interact with matter, specific areas of rupture and cellular harmony. So there are actual lesions that happen in the perispirit due to our actions and the consequences of their actions. We're good? Once disarticulated, the synergistic work of cells in this or that tissue, morbid entities will be interposed, such as cancer. So once we disrupt the synergistic, so working in, uh, in, as a group in synergy, the work of the cells, that tissue, weird things will happen. Morbid entities, or diseases, will happen, it will be interposed in that tissue where that happened. And this is one of the explanations for cancer. So somehow we're the ones that cause the dysfunction of the cells. The mutation at first obeyed a certain unbalance originated in the mind. Again, our mind causing the cell mutation that causes the cancer. When the second without an attitude of moral renewal, without humility and patience, cannot assimilate the beneficial stream of divine love. So what he means is basically, the stream of divine love is always present. It's always here. God is always loves us and he's always trying to help us. But we're stubborn, we don't listen, we do whatever we wanna do. And because of that, and we don't have um, the attitude of moral renewal, humility, or patience. That's when we causes, cause these uh, injuries to the spirit, and that's when we become sickened. Due to the unbalance of our mental strength, generating ruptures or areas of leakage in regions of interaction between the spirit body and the physical vehicle. So, due to the imbalance of our mental strength, we generate ruptures. Ruptures, an area of leakage, or that's the word that exists in Portuguese and doesn't exist in English, so best translation can find was leakage. Regions of interaction between the spiritual body and the physical vehicle. So, spiritual body, peri-spirit. Physical, physical vehicle, the body. So between the two. Basically, that's what he's describing. It's a leakage or a rupture in the ethereal double, the etheric double. Okay? In our in our chakra, in our uh, energetic view. Uh, so this is under Lewis in the 1960s. But Kardec said similar things, and this is from the Genesis chapter 14. The thought of the incarnated mind acts upon the spiritual fluids. Spiritual fluids, perispirit. Since the fluids of an ambient are modified by the projection of the spirit thoughts, so the spirit thinks, think, and that thought is in the space, and that changes the matter and the fluids around. His perispiritual body, which is also fluidic, which is constituent part of him, and receives directly and in a permanent way the impression of his thoughts should receive even more the impressions of his good or bad qualities. So Kardec said the same thing in the 1800s, that our thoughts change fluid. Their spirit is fluid and it's with us all the time. So we will be the one that will suffer the most of our mental sickness. So Andrea Lewis didn't make that up. <laughs> it's important, right? You gotta go back and forth, right? It can't, it can't, it can't go against the codificator, right? So it just reinforces. So these fluids acting upon the spare spirit react upon the material organism. If the fluvia, if the out, outflow are of good nature, the body receives a salutary impression. If bad, a painful one. If the bad are permanent and energetic and persistent, 
they can cause physical disorders. Certain maladies have no other cause. Again, same thing. The thought, the fluid, hairy spirit, diseases. So it has been described. Not in as much details, of course, but it has. So <clears throat> now, so let's just go a little deeper into exactly so how it, it happens. So what acts upon the perispirit is the mind and nothing else. So that's a concept. Okay, so we, we act upon our own perispirit. Thus, if there's a lesion of the perispirit, it is because it was inflicted by the mind in a process of self-punishment. So this is good and bad, right? We're not victims. God is not punishing us. It's not something that, you know, it's 100% our fault. So that's hard to take. So if I'm sick today, if I have a cold, it's my fault. No one else. It's not you. They give it to me when you cough and give me a kiss. No, it's me. Because also that doesn't explain why somebody, for example, you know, we're all from Brazil. How many have got dengue or one of those? We certainly have been, have been, uh, 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 got in contact with the virus, but we didn't. And some people do, some people don't know why that happens. Medicine doesn't know how to explain that. Why is our immune system able to fight and some are not? Again, it's us. It's our fault, it's our prayer spirit. Um, and that's basically happens every single day of our lives, unless you are Shiposhavir um, or somebody much better than we are is whenever we go against God's law and that happens every single day unfortunately because again we're stubborn and what is the main uh, uh, what is the principle of God's law is the main one the number one of all is love so when we go against the, the, the law of love then destruction comes at our own cost but the good thing is at the same time the correction of these problems are all upon us so we're responsible for it, but we can fix it. Again, the same story that we've heard, how spiritism is hard, but it is what it is. Can't change reaction. Another uh, um, law, the action and reaction, also explains conceptually why there are diseases and diseases. So the intensity of the insult in the perispiritual body will be equal in magnitude to the intensity of the aggression created by us. For very bad or a little bad, bigger, worse, same thing. And it has a lot to do also with how we face the reality of what we've done. There are basically two mechanisms that people can can react upon, you know, their their mistakes. Of course, once they have conscience that they made a mistake, they can feel guilty, and guilt is a bad thing, as we've learned or they can be sort of a proactive worker upon it. I'll give you an example. Suppose that a guy was a, a murderer in a previous life, and he liked to get a knife and stick it right in the heart. So once he gets conscious, he's, he's conscious about that that's not a good thing to do, he could simply be, feel guilty forever, and that will take a long time. And then maybe when he reincarnates, he has a heart defect that needs to be repaired, or he dies of it. Or he can be a proactive laborer and say, you know what, I've done this, but now I can fix it. And he comes back as a heart surgeon to fix other people's hearts. Simple, simple, but I think it kind of explains a little bit the two different attitudes that we can have, although it's not 100% up to us, but it is the more conscious we are. Does it explain the variability of severity of disease? So now from this point on, I have to say that that's where it ends. That's, that's the only evidence or, or published literature on it. And then, thank you to you, send me that, those links. And then I got to know this guy uh, just by, not personally, but just by watching his lectures. Uh, that's he's a, he's a doctor. He is uh, from Sao Paulo originally, but now he lives in Goiânia, and he's part of the Miracle Spiritist uh, group uh, in Brazil and, and, the, and the society in Goiânia. And he gave this lecture, uh, which is a much more complicated uh, title, uh, Pathogens of the Physiopsychosomatic Tissue Injury, <laughs> basically. But the same thing, you know. Pathogenesis, so the formation of the disease of the perispiritual tissue injury. 
So he goes deeper. He explains all these things, and then he goes deeper, and he makes sort of assumptions uh, and, and rational uh, uh, explanations why certain things could be. So it's really a theory. It's not written in a book, but it makes sense. It's rational, and uh, it was presented at a, a, at a, a, in a good place where lots of people um, were there. And so what he says is any action that is contrary to the law of love, we talked about it, causes frame. Frame is esgarçamento. It's a slightly different term. Of the perispirit or the theric double, a disruption of its integrity, similar to an open mood. So, this is when he starts to create the analogy to the physical body so people can understand. And that's what's not written. So, an open wound that somehow needs to heal. So, there's a open wound. So, we hit ourselves, we create a wound, it's bleeding. It needs to heal. This disruption allows for, quote unquote, extravasation of cells, even though when he explains, he, he puts in a very literal way that there's a hole and things are pouring out. We know that that's probably not the way it is, and, and he says so himself, but it's so that we can picture in our minds. So cells, all of a sudden, they leave the perispiritual control. And from the guidance of the perispiritual body, by uh, disrupting that, they return to their innate automatism that we talked about before, that they're whatever they want to do to fulfill their own pleasures. Unaware of its function, location, and the need for multiplication. So I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I am. Gosh, I'm just doing whatever I want. I'm just reproducing whatever I want to go. It's basically how it goes. <coughs> the timing of presentation can vary, and there's no explanation. We don't quite understand at all, but this very spiritual disruption can occur acutely, and present itself during the same incarnation, or it can present in a future life. It can present as already as disease, it can present just as a tendency, that sometimes our actions and our attitude and our behavior can change those predisposing factors. Like I said, you have the BRCA gene, there's 20% chance you're not gonna develop breast cancer. I don't know why, but probably has to do with your mental health your thought strength and, and things like that. Um, and sometimes it takes multiple lives to heal. And just as a coincidence, I was driving here, just listening to another lecture from um, the Spiritizah, the org, have you guys heard about it? Yeah. From Alirio, eh? mm -hmm. it's phenomenal, great. Uh, that's, so he tells a story uh, in from heaven and earth, uh, between heaven and earth, right? And sorry at that of a guy that um, it was during the, the, the Paraguayan-Brazil War, and for whatever reason, he wanted to die, and he ingested you know, uh, 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 a poison, but he didn't die, but it was a corrosive uh, 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 substance that caused stricture of his esophagus, and because of that, he had difficulty, he couldn't eat and all that, so eventually he committed suicide by jumping in the river, and he died drowned. He comes on the first reincarnation after that attempt, and he accidentally drowns on that second incarnation. But he still hasn't healed his very spirit. He still had issues at his fifth chakra, at the, at the, at the laryngeal chakra here. So he came back on the second time with chronic disease of his larynx, and eventually died of an infection. So that is just to show that something, quote unquote, there's no stupidity, but something that was unthought that we did in one life can take two, three, four, five lives. And they say that that's especially for um, suicide uh, people that uh, it will take multiple reincarnations to really, because they might heal their prayer spirit, but then they feel guilty and they have to, um, to pay back all the people that they made suffer through their actions, so it's a bad thing. So regeneration, the same way that the clot is formed to stop bleeding and reestablish homeostasis, which is the normal function of the body, a tumor would act in a similar fashion to heal the perispiritual area injured by a process analogous to scar formation and to regenerate the integrity of the perispiritual body. So he makes the direct correlation of something like this. This is a blood vessel that 
gets injured for whatever reason it might be, and you know we're bleeding. So basically, cells leaving the perispiritual guidance, and then other cells have to come in here and clot. In this case, platelets in the body that stops bleeding, and if the bleeding stops, then we fix our perispirit. But we all know that our bleeding is stoppable. If we chop our arms off and there's nothing, we're going to die, no matter how much the platelets work, similar fashion, cancer too. So if we are able and we have um, somewhat of control and uh, of, of, of our mental attitude, it's possible that that cancer is able to be healed in that life, and those can be the patients that actually get, quote unquote, cured from cancer. What about the other ones that don't? Maybe it's because this injury is too big and it's not able to heal at that moment by that tumor. So it has to, to be continued type. Then Andrew Lewis again says, when the patient, however, expresses a favorable behavior towards himself, the physical forces find solid support. So when we want to improve ourselves, our body finds solid support and are able to shift the dysfunction of a cancer, maybe to a not so bad cancer, benign neoplasma, as you say, so benign tumor, which is still reacts to the organizing influence of the surrounding tissues. So he's not necessarily saying that a cancer would be a non-cancer, but the, the principal defect that is there that is gonna cause cancer, if it's not as severe, can cause something like a benign tumor that you just remove and it's over. There's no problem. It doesn't have the malignancy and the, and the badness. So again, a lot depends on to us. So just really quick, so to reca recapitulate everything we said, cells are what? Domesticated, infinitesimal animals. Little animals in us. When we break God's laws, our mind self-imposes an injury to the perispirit, etheric double, causing a localized dysfunction. Cancer is a mechanism of cure, likely from a combined physical and emotional perspective. So the suffering that everybody goes by dealing with cancer regenerates. And whoever deals with cancer knows that. You have, and there's actually scientific evidence to, that shows the patients that are able to deal with it in peace, with, uh, with uh, uh, accepting uh, uh, in a positive attitude that they tend to survive longer than patients that don't. Those that are uh, uh, just fight it, that can't accept it, they're always anguished, they're always angry. Patients, usually they die faster. Uh, a positive attitude of the second person will minimize and help control the dysfunction. Doesn't mean that you cure. Doesn't mean that everybody has a positive attitude and is always happy, it has cancer, they're gonna survive, that's not it. But it just means that at least they've managed how to deal with that problem, and that problem is healing them. So whenever we see somebody with cancer, when, oh, poor them. Maybe it's the opposite. They're really curing and recovering something that was really bad. And especially when we see kids with cancer, right? We don't understand, so. There's so much we don't understand, we, we, we think very small. So this whole concept uh, of, of, of cancer, to me, really, really uh, changed completely the perspective of how to look at health. Um, and we think of health in a very different way than what we should. We think of health as corporeal health, as functioning well of our organs and whatnot. And Emmanuel had already said in the book The Consoler, Question 96, when he asked, when he's asked, what is health? And he goes, for the man on earth, health can, can mean the perfect balance of material organs. For the spiritual realm, however, health is the perfect harmony of the soul, in which to obtain it many times there is need for the precious transitory maladies and deficiencies of earth. So basically, for us to obtain harmony of our soul internally, we need to suffer, and sometimes diseases are part of that. So when we think of health, and I put that, healthy body, there are only pictures like this, <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> but then you think of somebody like this, right, Mahatma Gandhi, 
doesn't look very good, right? Skinny little Indian guy. But he is the healthiest of all, according to Amen. So that's all I had. It went faster than I thought. Yes. I asked the first one <clears throat> recently because the idea of chemotherapy is to focus on this and this uh, tumor and kill the, the wrong cells, the cells that you said they are disoriented. But a side effect would be to kill healthy cells. So. Lately, we have been reading about uh, a completely different approach. Instead of destructing, destroying the cells that are sick, finding a way for the others to embrace and reconfigure that cell. So the cure is inside of us. I think this is fantastic. And it is compliant with yeah, there, it's a complete there's a lot of research on lots of different how how to to deal with these cells, and um, you're right in a way that chemotherapy has always been focused on trying to kill that cell, and now we're coming to a, a, a time in medicine that is called you know uh, so individually focused medicine, so personal medicine in which we have to find in these tumors something that is specific that can be treated directly so it doesn't affect other cells because all most of the chemotherapeutic agents they act in certain mechanism of the multiplication of the dna and things like that it affects also other cells so why do we lose hair why do we have diarrhea it's because those are the cells that multiply most quickly in our body they're more susceptible to the chemotherapeutic agents the same thing so trying to find a target then they switched, and now they're looking into this whole thing of increasing the immune system response to tumor, because we know that their immune systems, in a lot of uh, times, is what keeps cancer at bay. Um, and again, with ups and downs. So this is right now the hot topic. It's immunotherapy, right? That's what everybody talks about, like it's the next golden, it's, it's not. It's just another era of new drugs. We figure out a way, and it works for some patients, doesn't. It gives you more options to treat some patients and things like that. And also you said that those cells are disoriented. In my opinion, they are very oriented. They have a goal, and the goal is to multiply <laughs> so the idea of the other ones change that cell to love again. <laughs> and reprogram the whole thing is what, is what makes sense. That's their concept. We live in Houston and we were volunteers in the Spencer Hospital. And exactly what you said, those who embrace this as a new experience, a new phase in their lives, are alive today in Brazil. The other ones who are rejected, oh my God, that's revolted. revolted and rebelled and why me, why God this, this to me. Exactly what you said. Way back home. But the other ones assumed that this is a new phase, a new experience, a new challenge. And the whole family embraced this. And do you know family that the girl had nine brothers and sisters, and each one of one brother was here, another sister. The whole family embraced this experience. She gave back life. I mean, it's, it's, it's something I tell my patients every day. You can't change the fact. You have what you have. And we're going to treat you how we're going to treat you. And the outcome is going to be what God wants it to be. But we can change how we want to face it and how we're going to end. Because you can be alive, or you can die, but you can die in peace, or you can die miserably. Because I bet you've seen maybe case that two different people, but they have the same kind of cancer, and you do the same treatment, one is well and the other. Absolutely. That happens all the time. And in a personal level, how do you, knowing all the spiritual side of this, deal with on your everyday basis with patients? And you can't, I don't know can be open like this, at least in Correct. this country. Yeah. No, and, and actually, I, you know. <laughs> Is it hard? Since, <laughs> I, since I started my practice when I finished up in Virginia, 
Um, I struggle a lot with that, knowing more how to open patients up. But then the, everybody responds to, to basic things. Uh, everybody responds to camaraderie. Everybody responds to a kind word, a touch. And that's something that the American doctor don't do, and actually Brazilian doctor don't do anymore either. So it really just changing how you interact with the patient in a more collegial way and being happy and always showing. And that immediately, it doesn't matter, but, but they gain trust in you. Yes. And that bond that creates improves their overall perception of disease. Yeah, because it, it but it's hard work, because every single day, every single patient, every single bed, and every single, yeah. That's as best I can. <laughs> so I think I was thinking about the example she gave, you know, the same patient with the same disease and one gets better, the other one doesn't. I think there are several factors that can help the patient, not only the doctor, but also the social environment. Of course. So, you know, sometimes it's not because the person himself, sometimes because everything around the person is not happy. You know, she didn't have, you know, the, you know, the best doctor maybe. You know, she didn't have the family support, or she didn't even have a family. So I think, you know, we have to think about these things too. Absolutely, we're inserted in, in, in our families, in our main, in our friends, and everything surrounding us affects who we are, yeah. what we are, how we behave. But the main, ultimately, the main thing is how you think, right? Exactly. But ultimately, it's, no it's up to us and how we think because. As, at least to me, I mean, I always kind of feel sad when I think about it. We're a big family and we love the people around or we might not, but at the end, we're on this on our own. Yeah. And we kind of have to learn how to deal with it on our own. It's kind of hard, but it's true. Like, um, uh, and we focus so much sometimes on the disease, right? And instead of uh, thinking of that, like everything else, all the difficulties that sometimes we have in our lives, they're all part of the same the same story, right? Uh, every, so sometimes it's just like, what is this teaching me? Why, why is this happening? Not in a negative, revolting way, but if we were able, or those who are able to uh, really try to get that as you know, a learning process, of course, taking care, doing, going to the dog, doing everything that, all the resources available, uh, all the support available, uh, but definitely uh, also the ones that we, we've seen also, the, 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 the prayers also help. Uh, their research, right, on prayer helping patients because it's all the energy and sometimes we don't, we cannot talk about a certain philosophy or religion or this or that, but we can talk about good energy, right? right. Good vibration. Nowadays, I'm talking about good thoughts and, and uh, the good vibrations and energy and this and that. It's not something that is very unusual. And that helps uh, everybody. And you can talk about generic things. You can talk about God. You know, God, people yeah. understand what God is. If there's a connection, can always, we can always find connections, I guess, to to help if, if we're open to help, obviously. And that's something you learn on a day-to-day -day by dealing mm -hmm. with patients and reactions and things like that. So that's mm -hmm. why it's an internal uh, learning experience. And some people are not, they don't want to be helped, <laughs> right? And they, sure. left. Yeah. I mean, they just You're want right. to be cured. And uh, that's it, <laughs> nothing else, so. Um, I have a, I'm sitting back here. I have a challenge for all of us because this, this, um, this, talk was is, is amazing is impressive but I think we all spiritists and we all Christians of any in any religion Christianity we we always heard of the words of Jesus saying that our faith what did they say to the apostle the the our the faith your faith is the size of a mustard seed right a grain of mustard what is it, Andre? Grain of mustard. Right. So, because what he told the apostles is because they all had the power to cure, because they were very frustrated because they couldn't perform the miracles that Jesus did. And Jesus told them, you know, your face is the size of a mustard seed, a grain of mustard. So, all, all this that we heard today, it's, it should touch our hearts really deeply. But if we think about it, 
And when you say it's all on us, it's because it's all on us. Um, when we went to Dallas a few years back and one of the speakers said, everything is spiritual, one with very short hair from Florida and glasses, I can't remember her name. I'm not sure, but she made a statement that was really strong and really hard to, for me to take at the time. <laughs> everything is it was like, what? Everything is spiritual. Because if we think about that we can heal our bodies, no, ma no matter what we do, no matter how many vitamins we take, no matter how much kombucha we drink during the day, or how much you know, healthy foods we, we eat, this, is, this, is, this all helps. But if we don't make a commitment to really take care of our soul and our spirits, we are failing. And the fact that we know and we hear this and we've been hearing this, you know, since we were little and since previous generations and reincarnations, um, I challenge everybody here. I do. We're stubborn. To, yeah. to challenge. <laughs> We've been challenged. That's it. Yes. It is not like me, oh, I'm going to cure myself right now. No, but it's I will be aligned with God's law and right. then I'll cure myself. That's right. But, but my point is the challenge here is when we fell ill emotionally or spiritually or physically, exactly, for us to do the soul search. Instead of instead of just reaching automatically to a quick fix, which is what medicate all the respect to doctors, you know, you have your your placing in our society. You know, thank God. But for us that we hear this and we know this and we study this, uh, to to really take that deeper and trust and say, okay, I'm feeling depressed. Instead of going to you know to a, well, if you're feeling depressed for a long time, you know, you need to go to see a doctor, yes, and you may want to take a pill, but that's not the answer. It's the... It's a complex. The, 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 no, it helps. Yes, it helps. But a lot of us, myself included, don't get me wrong, myself me wrong, we can take this, but not as the solution, but as a means to come to, the, to a place where we can find, where we can believe in our faith, that we can do it. If we do that though, with the mind that is not needed, sometimes we yes. just want the immediate response. And I yes. remember once uh, somebody said, uh, you know, we've been, like you mentioned, so many reincarnations sometimes doing certain things in a certain way, causing ourselves, because not only what I think right now that is causing what. Right, but what we are having in terms of diseases, it is you know it has been coming. We are a product of what we've been all these reincarnations, and then suddenly I just thought, okay, now I'm going to be positive. I'm going to take care of myself, search my soul, this and that, and right away get the cure. Well, we it is a process, so we can be in that way, right? Uh, like you said. Uh, with faith, with the material, when it gets to our body, affected our body, only the soul will not do the trick. We have to yeah. take care of both. It is, uh, but our body to, to reflects this, what the soul Exactly. When it goes to the body, yes. you know, and if I just look for my soul, I'll be cured next reincarnation because this one <laughs> is, you know, the disease is there. If I don't go to the doctor, you know, but I can also. Uh, think of that in terms of the same long term that we've been creating things, we might take a while for us to kind of rediscover ourselves, rediscover where, mm -hmm. you know, these beliefs and stuff, and, and keep working together with everything that is about. That's why when somebody says, okay, come to the spiritual group, work on the spiritual side, go to the doctor, go this, doc. why? Because we are those parts that you talked about, right? Yes. We are not just body, we are not just spirit, it's the combinations. We work on all aspects. That's, that's in why we're here, incarnated, right? right. Mm -hmm. I think the first challenge is exercise our faith, why this is happening, and, and, and seeing the, the material side, the doctor and the medicine advance it. So 
that's a blessing because we need, like you're saying, this the whole combination. Otherwise, we'll be in the spiritual world. We didn't need to have a surgery and cut your body and take the tumor out. You know, it's a whole process, a whole learning. But I think faith is the first step in, you know, exercise. I have a question. Like, how do you think in terms of the Zika virus? They don't see me here in the back. That's okay. I'm just raising my hand for a while here, but <laughs> you guys don't see me in the back. You go first, but everybody knows that I'm next. You know, there is the thoughts, the positive thoughts that make us healthy. So the mother is uh, contaminated. So the baby is the one who's But the baby, are they thinking, you know, to capture that negativity? They born We don't know. It could be, it could not about be. But the spirit connect to the baby. It's not a baby spirit. Correct. So we I think we've discussed this multiple times. It can be a baby thing or that spirit thing, or it can be just a mom thing and it can be the means for that baby to go through something. You know, again, uh, a lot of those babies don't die. They live in the in with the life of sort of a vegetative state and they're completely dependent on someone, they don't do anything. So that can be also, quote unquote, you know, a, a treatment for the very rebel spirits that they come in, you know, locked in the body that they just gonna have to go through it. They don't have any options. So there are so many different nuances that we don't understand. So, so should never judge, right? Doesn't matter how you think it's, I think it's always positive if you think from a spiritual perspective. Whatever it is, how horrible it might be, it's for that spirit's own benefit. Otherwise, it wouldn't have. Unless it's something they cause on themselves, like suicide or something like that. Andre. Interesting that you brought suicide. Uh, as a lung surgeon, you probably have faced already patients that used to be a smoker, or smoked during their lives, sometime of their lives. Have you ever faced that? That's the norm. That's the norm, <laughs> right? Uh, until, th th that's what I read recently, that's why I know, until I guess 1964, there was no official link between cancer and Correct. and smoking and tobacco, let's say. After that, the US General Surgeons, I know, yes, there is a link. So the shares of Philip Morris and everybody started going down. And so, Nowadays, smoking is not a unconscious suicide anymore. It's a conscious suicide. Okay. You, you know what you're doing. Uh, for what you have seen there, uh, is it really bad? Is it uh, irreversible, the damage that you do to your lungs when you smoke? Correct. So in the past, they used to think that once you're past 10, 15 years after stopping smoking, that your risks are just regular people, but it's not, it's lifelong. So um, the lung doesn't regenerate, uh, it heals, but it doesn't improve its function. So what's destroyed, it's destroyed, and it's there forever. So what is actually happening now that nobody has a good explanation for is that the incidence of cancer in patients who have never smoked, it's rising, especially females. And that is very commonly associated with one of those mutations that we saw there, but why? We don't know. But overall, cancer is a disease of the elderly. So we're going to see now many more things that we never saw just because we're living longer. So... It could be for smoking on the previous life. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I was going to mention that anybody... I was going to mention that uh, our limited minds think, oh, cancer patient, oh, you said something I need. No, something my spirit has done maybe two, three lives before. Completely unaware, consciously about this. Absolutely. And maybe never smoked and never, oh, cancer, they never, never had a drink in their life. It's a, it's a, Spirit. We always have a very direct connotation. This happens because you did that. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, we're, s we're just little children trying to understand these things. We can't. We can't. Sometimes, you know, we talk about maybe somebody <coughs> has a disease to help medicine, but, you know, so you don't judge all oh, your suffering is because you're bad. Before. Exactly. Never. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. 
Uh, just a Amy, comment. It was first. Oh, yes. Sorry. Uh, I'll just make a comment. You mentioned that 20% of people that have never developed cancer. Correct. And we don't know why. Perhaps it's also, it, this is related to something you also said, like the example of the guy that uh, mm -hmm. put knives on other people's heart, they can have a heart disease or it can be a heart surgery. So maybe this 20% did something correct. And, and correct themselves. Correct. So then they don't have to go through this. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. When I said we don't understand is medicine doesn't understand yeah, why yeah. the gene doesn't get activated. or yeah. So, you know, that's why the whole genetics thing, when you study spiritism, it's the consequence, never the, the cause. So yeah. you're looking for, you know, for the source, but the source is not there. That's the consequence. Um, reading uh, books and you know knowing what we know from uh, about medicine throughout um, human civilization, we can attest to the fact that um, in the early centuries of our existence, uh, medicine was uh, executed and performed as a body and spiritual spirit um, as as a whole, and and that's I think what is called holistic medical medicine today. And uh, we, and then we saw a disappearance of it with the, you know, the killing of the witches and you know the Native Americans, uh, Native American cultures with their uh, shamans being uh, shut down or accepted, and and then we saw the, everything that happened with civilization, and because of the stress, because of the, the difference, the the increase of um, uh, the number of people on Earth and diseases starting to spreading, etc., 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 we saw. Um, the medicine that we see today being developed and being treated not the, the cause but just the the symptoms and uh, and we have an amazing um, Western uh, medicine as a, as a result. But um, I've I've observed that in the in the in the last few decades has been a revival of holistic medicine and many practitioners nowadays, MDs, not only in the U.S. but abroad, they have started uh, introducing. Um, those those me medicines like acupuncturists, for instance, and in uh, other forms of um, uh, medicine that have been practiced for thousands and thousands of years, as uh, a supplement to the existing uh, medicine, and and I, and I think that's to attest to what is going on for us to understand that we are just not the body and we have to treat the soul and the chakras and all those those energies. As a society, we're evolved. We have We've gone through centuries of materialism. Exactly. It takes centuries for us to get out of it, but yeah. it's baby steps. Eles tentam definir assim a localização do câncer e a ligação que isso tem com algum é, sentimento específico. Por exemplo, que mulheres que têm problemas com, sei lá, um casamento, problemas assim emocionais na vida amorosa, têm mais é, tipo assim, chances de ter câncer de mama. É só um, é só um exemplo, né? Não sei se Eu queria saber se, assim, na sua prática médica, como né, é, você lida mais com pulmões, se você percebe que os seus pacientes têm algum comportamento que iguala eles a nível de sentimento. Tipo, já escutei falar que, nesses estudos paralelos, que quem tem problema com pulmões são pessoas que têm muita culpa, Coisas assim, se você consegue, talvez na conversa, ter alguma conexão, assim, os sentimentos entre seus pacientes, ou nada Não dá. Seria muito difícil fazer comentários assim, genéricos, uma coisa assim tão ampla. Não, a mim, o, o que você percebe, sem dúvida nenhuma, é que existem aqueles doentes que você imediatamente sabe que vão melhor ou não. Tem aquele doente que entra no seu consultório, putz. Morreu. Não tem jeito, morreu. Não, morreu. Você sente, você sente a carga negativa, pesada, e às vezes não tem, não tem o que fazer. Mas faz parte da lição, faz parte do aprendizado. Só quando é assim, tem que ir lá. 
é, revolta contínua, né? Então, a falta de aceitação, ele nunca se engaja propriamente dito do ponto mental, né? Ele faz tudo de forma mecânica, né? Ele faz, ele mas exatamente, ele não trabalha. Existe alguma, alguma tendência na medicina para né, acompanhamento terapêutico para esse tipo de paciente ter o melhor resultado? Pois é, o grande problema, existem vários estudos é, tentando fazer esse tipo de coisa, mas todos os estudos são negativos. Por quê? Porque a gente sabe que o princípio básico para qualquer terapêutica funcionar é que você tem que querer e você tem que mudar. Então, psicoterapia não é uma coisa que você consiga, é diferente, né? Eu te dou um remédio, teoricamente vai ter esse efeito. Na psicoterapia depende do resultado. Então, quando você estuda isso num grupo que a gente chama randomizado, que você pega doentes, e você olha, é sempre negativo, porque as pessoas mudam, elas mudam, elas não mudam. As pessoas que mudam, sim, existe uma melhora. Mas as que não mudam, não. Então, como você não tem, é, você não consegue estabelecer um resultado pré-definido daquela terapêutica para fazer a comparação, ou você fala assim, ou melhorou ou não melhorou, não melhorou num grupo grande não melhora, mas alguns melhoram. Assim. Mas eu acho que a terapia, às vezes, estou criticando nada, mas às vezes existe uma tendência a ser um pouco encanto para aplicar coisas que conhecimentos do paciente, como se todos os pacientes fossem iguais. Sem dúvida. A psicoterapia, para mim, é uma das coisas mais difíceis que existem porque o terapeuta tem que estar 100% do tempo aberto a realmente investigar e trabalhar naquele paciente específico cada dia. Cara, a gente é gente. É difícil. Você tem que se doar 100% do tempo, o tempo todo, enquanto você está lá. Não dá. Você acaba entrando em mecanismo. Você vai fazer essa... essa né? É isso que você tem que fazer, porque é isso que você aprendeu na faculdade. É Real, absolutely. Correct. That's one of the biggest examples of how the mind really. Yeah. Uh, a gente ouve falar muito de stem cells experiments, que eventualmente você vai crescer um órgão inteiro a partir de uma célula, alguma coisa assim. Você já teve contato com alguma coisa de sucesso em relação a isso? Stem Na tua cell, área? É stem cell. Ainda não tem muita aplicabilidade clínica, ainda está em fase de pesquisa e muitas coisas que acharam que ia ser verdade acabaram não acontecendo. Um, existe muita uh, engenharia de tecido para reconstrução, como você mesmo falou, para reconstruir órgãos. Isso é uma coisa que está na moda hoje em dia, mas não tem nada realmente em uso clínico. A stem cell já foi utilizada, a gente usa nossos próprios stem cells em transplante de medula, você tem um linfoma, uma leucemia grave. Você basicamente pega essas células, você cultura, bota na cultura, faz elas crescerem, mata absolutamente tudo e reinfunde elas. Isso é um tratamento hoje em dia de leucemia e linfoma grave, utilizando suas próprias stem cells, não stem cells de alguém. Hum. Existem, a gente vê esses estudos aqui e ali, que injetou aqui, um melhorou, dois melhorou, então acaba sendo pipocando e sai na mídia, né? mas em termos assim, de, de utilização na prática clínica do dia a dia, ainda não existe. Obrigada, Daniel.